welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is sponsored by June Shine, a better for you alcohol made with only real organic ingredients. And unlike other alcoholic beverages, they are transparent about every ingredient they put in their products. I love how light and refreshing it tastes without the bloat of other alcohol like beer. It's naturally fizzy and fermented, and I have found that even friends who aren't big kombucha fans love the flavor and the fizz of June Shine. Each can is only three grams of sugar, so it's low carb, full of probiotics, and they come in creative and delicious flavor combos like their brand new prickly pear margarita, which is delicious. They're always smooth, refreshing, and enjoyable, and best of all, it doesn't leave you with that I'm too full after drinking feeling, and you get a lighter, brighter buzz. June Shine is also sustainably produced. They're 100% carbon neutral, donate 1% of their sales to environmental nonprofits. The brewery is powered by 100% renewable solar energy, and they plant trees for all those used to make their boxes. I get this stuff delivered straight to my doorstep now that June Shine has nationwide shipping, and I've worked out a special offer just for you. Receive 20% off plus free shipping site-wide. I recommend trying one of their best-selling variety packs. It's a great way to try all of their flavors and find your favorite. Go to juneshine.com slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama to claim. That's J-U-N-E-S-H-I-N-E dot com slash wellnessmama. You can also find them in over 10,000 stores, including Whole Foods, Safeway, Kroger, and Publix. This episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley, a company that is near and dear to my heart. I really like all of their products, and my family especially loves their 100% grass-fed beef sticks, which are clean, gut-friendly, and protein-packed snack options. They never last long in my house because my kids enjoy them so much. And I love how seriously Paleo Valley takes creating healthy and environmentally friendly products. Their grass-fed beef sticks are the real deal. They're sourced from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished cows that are never fed grains or harmful antibiotics. And they come from small family-owned farms right here in the USA that practice rotational grazing meaning farmers literally rotate the pastures on which the cows graze, so they aren't feeding on the same soil forever, depleting its nutrients. This means that the cows are helping increase the nutrient density of the soil and put carbon back in the soil where it belongs. Another important difference? Virtually every other meat snack on the market is made with a processing agent called encapsulated citric acid, or ECA. Companies use this in order to guarantee a long shelf life for their products, but one study from the University of Illinois at Chicago found that ECA can cause joint discomfort caused by stiffness and swelling, muscle aches, upset stomach, and more. Instead, Paleo Valley beef sticks use the old world methods of fermentation, which gives the beef sticks a long shelf life without harmful acids and chemicals. And they're also free of brominated vegetable oil, hormones, and MSG used in many products. And the natural fermentation process means that they're a natural source of probiotics as well. Check out these amazing grass-fed beef sticks and all Paleo Valley products at paleovalley.com forward slash mama. And if you use the code mama15, you'll save 15% on your order. Again, that's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash M-A-M-A and the code M-A-M-A 15 to save 15%. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That is wellness with an E on the end. And this episode is all about what's really in your supplements and how to know. I'm here with Matt Titlow, who has a lot of experience in this particular field. He's a 17-year veteran of the nutritional supplement industry. And he has, in that work, studied a whole lot of different 
areas of supplements. And today he really goes deep on the process of what happens before supplements ever get to you, how to understand the labeling on supplements and what regulation actually looks like, why he's not a fan for gummies as far as vitamins go, what to know about dosing and what's actually in your supplements, his take on vitamin D and the research surrounding it, even more reasons to be a fan of magnesium, which I have been a fan of for years, and also not to forget about potassium. He talks about postbiotics like butyrate and how they work in the gut, the biggest areas to optimize for better energy, and then his personal 80-20 for health. We cover a lot of ground in this one. I think you'll enjoy. So let's join Matt. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to dig deep and go into some maybe not well understood things when it comes to supplements. There's a lot of directions we're going to go when it comes to that. But before we do, I have a note in my show notes that you love languages and you would love to at some point be an Italian language teacher. And I just would love to hear the story of that and maybe like what sparks the love for languages. Yeah, I think I just have a passion for just communication. Like what we're doing right now, I think has been shown, you know, over COVID, like how important communication is. And I don't think every good idea was made in English. And so I'd love to just, you know, I don't know, just communicate. It doesn't matter. It could be something as, as, as easy as a menu or something as, you know, philosophy, as, as meaningful as philosophy. So I think it's just about communication. That's a great answer. I'm dipping my toe in language learning now with um, Japanese and Spanish and certainly Japanese is bending my brain in ways I didn't know it could bend. So it's been a fun exploration for sure. And I know what you're well known for is your work in the supplement space. And I'll admit this is an area where I've done research and read quite a bit on PubMed, but I also don't have any direct formulation experience or inside knowledge of that industry. But I do know that a lot of people listening take some form of supplements, probably on a daily basis. This is definitely a thing that tends to be um, more popular now. There's so much information out there and marketing related to so many different supplements. And I would love to just start kind of maybe learning from you how to decode and dissect different aspects of understanding supplements and what's in them. Um, It seems like from my perspective, the supplement world is still a little bit of maybe the wild west when it comes to understanding it and even the way they're made, whereas food has very strict rules about what's on the labeling. And I'm sure supplements do as well, but I feel like maybe consumers aren't as well equipped to understand what the labels mean on supplements because you're often dealing with scientific names for things or um, trying to understand proper dosage and how much of what is in it is actually active versus not. So to start broad, maybe just kind of give us an overview of what's going on in the supplement space in general. Right. That's a broad question. You know, I think the process might actually help. If we just get context, that might be, that might be interesting for the audience. So one is that when you look at a product, you're just looking at something that is, you know, label, bottle, lid, et cetera. But what's actually going on behind the scenes is that those raw materials are being imported largely. So not just, you know, Asia, typically, you know, China, but you're thinking about like Europe, South America, et cetera. So think of everything from vitamins to amino acid or a protein. Proteins uh, often do come from the U.S. So those come in and are tested, the, the actual raw material themselves. Then that goes to typically a contract manufacturer. That contract manufacturer is the one who's actually putting, let's say, vitamin C in a capsule, for example, or a tablet. And then they put that in a bottle. Then they send that off to the marketer. That marketer is that brand that you're accustomed to, right? So it could be a jar, a now foods, a ritual vitamin, you know, these sorts of, you know, brands, vital proteins. These people are not manufacturing their product. In fact, they're the ones who are actually receiving that from the contract manufacturer after all of those steps. So I think that's a little context that maybe not everyone fully is cognizant of. Start there, maybe. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And so it seems like there's a whole lot of steps and a lot of them get pretty far removed before you're even talking about the website that lists the ingredients that tells you about the supplement. So as a consumer, is there any way to know what's happening in the steps of those process and if the ingredients are high quality or not? Right, exactly. Okay, so once you're there, like you have the actual bottle in your hand around a website or something like that, then you're looking at basically credibility, like you just said. Yeah, how do I know what's true or what isn't? You know, and is the dose right or wrong? This is tremendously difficult. And so you're going with reputation for the most part. So things like practicality. So like, have they stood the test of time? You know, have they been on Amazon for a while? Have they been in, in Walmart for a while? Have they been in Target for a while? Is your name like Nature Made or Now or Jara or Life Extension, you know, or Vital or Ritual? Or, you know, these are some of these brands who've been around for a while. In terms of the dosing, because again, so just to go back, reputation. In terms of the dosing, my gosh, I think I just maybe give a couple of resources. One is Life Extension Foundation, lef.org. So if you just go to lef.org, their magazine has a tremendous amount of info. You can just literally just type in vitamin D, type in magnesium, type in potassium. It's a, just a very good resource. I think Harvard has a couple good resources. Examine.com has a couple good resources. But again, it comes down to reputation. And you've directly worked in the supplement space, from my understanding, right? Is, with actually formulating these? Oh, definitely. I've been doing this for 17 years. Our business has been around for 23 years. We are, along with the manufacturers, the backbone of the whole industry. So when something says, like, you jump higher, you your skin is brighter, your you know, your immunity is boosted. Those claims are largely coming from ingredient suppliers like us. We're spending millions on those studies that allow you to say good source of calcium, for example, or boost immunity and things of that sort. So yeah, we as ingredient suppliers and the contra manufacturers putting it in the actual bottle itself, that's the backbone of of the industry. It's the marketer who has the the flair, right? Think of like the email marketing, think of like the video sales letter. Think of like that YouTube ad, TikTok ad. That's not where we are. We're the the behind the scenes people. So when it comes to the claims on supplement bottles, I know at least from writing in the health and wellness world, there are pretty tight rules of what you can and can't say. And I can't say things prevent or cure disease, for instance. What's the regulation side look like on claims on supplement bottles? And what kind of, what's the process like before something can actually be put on the bottle as a claim? Right. So more or less, you can make claims around the structure, the normal structure and function of the body. So for example, we all have a gut, right? We have a microbiome, right? So you can say supports gut health, for example. Can you say prevents IBS? No, because IBS is not a normal structure or function of the body. It's a disease state. Can you say supports, I think it's like seasonal conditions, right? Yes, you can say that. That's a euphemism for allergies, for example. Supports healthy weight management, for example. You see a lot of promotes, supports language. So that normal structure function like supports eye health, for example, those are normal. When you start saying like things around allergies or IBS or yeah, anything. And to make an extreme example, flu or cancer or something like that or COVID, that is a hundred percent no, no. The FTC will come down, come down on you with a hammer. It will be severe. You don't want to do that. 
Gotcha. And then I know in supplements, there's a, at least a list of active ingredients on the bottle typically, but I've read at least in passing that often there can be things like fillers as well, just to make the volume work. Is that true? And do those have to be listed as well? Or if they're inactive ingredients, could there be things we don't know about in them? They are typically at such a low percentage that it's irrelevant. So those that are relevant are on the label or let's say should be. All reputable companies do put them on, let's put it that way. And that's under other ingredients. So just give you an exam- example, let's take a capsule. That capsule, let's say might have, let's say flour. I'm just making a, or let's take something real like vitamin C. Vitamin C doesn't always flow perfectly well into a capsule. So you might have to add a little something called magnesium stearate. That's a flow agent to help to actually physically go into the, into the capsule. That magnesium stearate is, is on the uh, label under other ingredients. So you might have, quote, fillers like microcrystalline cellulose, MCC, silica. These are inactive, inert substances that are largely benign, and they're under uh, other ingredients. They're typically not, not ingredients that you do not know about on the label. That would be irreputable. What about the capsules themselves? What are those typically made of? Because I know, for instance, I've met people who take dozens or even like hundreds of supplements per day. And I've always wondered, you know, there's a, that's a, the capsules. It, one capsule doesn't have much of whatever that substance is. But when you're talking about taking a lot, it would seem like you're actually getting a, a decent sized dose of whatever that is. So what are the capsules themselves typically made of? Right. I was listening to uh, to a podcast by Peter T and he said something like, you know, the dose makes the poison, right? So like a little bit of water is is good, a lot you drown, right? So yes, if you're taking hundreds of supplements, hundreds of capsules, maybe that could be harmful. I'm not actually sure to be honest, but yeah, usually beef gelatin. There's also veggie caps and you'll see that, like they'll advertise it, like, you know, beef or gel, you know, or, or, or vegan, but largely, and I'm talking like 99.99% benign because we've been taking these capsules for decades uh, without uh, adverse events. So largely benign by 99.99%. But sure, gosh, if you took a hundred of these things, maybe you could have some GI distress. That makes sense. Because I just think of terms of, you know, we can take one capsule of Motrin and expect it to give us a result. And then we, it's so easy to ignore the small amounts of things added to food or added to supplements that might also produce a result in the body that would be unintended at large doses. Um, so I'm glad we got to talk about that. Are there any typical like worst offenders or maybe supplements that are typically not high quality or things to watch out for within the industry? I'd say gummies. So gummies in general are largely ineffectual because they don't have enough stuff, you know, to, uh, available enough physical material available to make an active ingredient work. So think of like vitamin D that can work as long as it's sugar free. So you don't want sugar. That's the number one. Number two, you want the dose of something to be effective. Well, there are very few things that are low dose that can fit in a, in a gummy because you need few amount, few amounts of, you know, stuff, you know, active ingredients to fit in that gummy. Well, Vitamin D can do that. But let's say vitamin C. You can't put a gram of vitamin C into a gummy. So you end up with a low dose that's ineffectual. Uh, so I'd say largely gummies are not the place to be. And I know that's where everyone's going. So I know that might be a little controversial, but uh, vitamins, that can work in a gummy. Um, vitamin D, that can work in a gummy. But minerals... There's just too much. You need too many minerals. You need that in a powder form. Hopefully it kind of helps. That would be one place not to go. It's probably anything with sugar and anything 
the larger dose. And so it's underdosed in the gummy. Yeah. Like for instance, one thing I take relatively often is magnesium. And I've noticed, you know, magnesium is used for so many different reactions in the body. I notice a difference when I take magnesium to get that dose of magnesium in a gummy would not taste very good because magnesium has a pretty salty, bitter taste. Right. Yes. Magnesium. I'm, I'm a monster fan. There's that brand Calm, you know, from Natural Vitality. It's a great product. I'm a huge fan of magnesium. It's the second most efficient mineral in the American diet, second to potassium. So you might actually have some viewers who are deficient in potassium, and that can be in powder form and electrolyte drink. And that has been uh, started to uh, has started to grow potassium in a electrolyte drink uh, versus a sodium. So if you look at a typical electrolyte drink, it's sodium based. But there are very few of us who are, you know, getting after an Olympic level in which sodium is de- being depleted, right? So that electrolyte drink, that let's call it hydration craze, that should actually be potassium based, meaning potassium above sodium, and it should be sugar free. I'm glad you brought up potassium as well. I I feel like on days even I do extremely long sauna sessions, and so I'm actually going through a lot of sodium. Um, I still supplement with ones that have sodium, magnesium, and potassium. And I know there's ratios that are optimal for that, but I don't think that gets talked about enough is that potassium is a lesser known one that makes a big difference. And I've heard from people who, when supplementing with potassium, noticed a huge energy difference for one thing, um, as well as some other positive effects for that particular reason. And I know based on what I've read, our food supply is relatively depleted in specifically those. And so I always am a fan of getting things from food when possible, but I also feel like we're in an environment at times where that is very difficult or not possible depending on a person's diet. So that's why it's worth turning to things like this. And I'm also glad you mentioned vitamin D because this is one that I feel like has been in the limelight the last couple of years because of the studies related to different viral illnesses. But I would love to hear your take on vitamin D and how to know if we're getting a good one. Because like you said, it seems like this is one that can be extremely concentrated in a very, very tiny dose, but it also is fat soluble, which to me means you also don't want to overdose on it. So you need to be careful of that range, but let's talk about vitamin D. Right. I think this is, like you said, been in the, in, in the limelight a lot. And it's like, my gosh, do we need to talk about this again? You know, maybe reviewers like, oh my gosh, do we, are we doing this for the 822nd time? Yes, we're doing it again. We're talking about vitamin D. And because it's almost impossible to overstate its importance. So years ago, we used to think that uh, 400 or 800 IU was where we needed to be. And that was you know, 100% of RDI. And then we realized, oh my gosh, we could take 20,000 IU and not overdose. So I don't want to say that there is no toxicity because again, just like we mentioned in the other podcast, uh, is the dose makes the poison, right? So th- there are limits, but I can't remember how it's measured, but you can go to your doctor and get a simple blood test. This is not hard at all. So next time you're at the doctor, uh, ask them to basically do your blood work and just add on your vitamin D. And it should be 50, I think it's milliliters per deciliter or something, or milligrams per deciliter. I, I apologize, I don't really, I don't remember the uh, the unit of measure, but it should be above 50. That's critical. And here's why it's critical. One is just basic immunity. Your immune system resides in your gut. 70% of your immune system resides in your gut. Vitamin D is helping modulate your gut. That's unbelievably important. In other words, central to all human health. Number two, I mean, immunity is health, right? If you have, if you're, if you're sick, you only have one wish is to be healthy. So if you're thinking about cold, flu, and then to be a little bit more, let's say on the extreme side, think colon cancer and other cancers, breast cancer, things of this sort. This is absolutely crucial, like uh, unbelievable, uh, unbelievably important, uh, fundamental 
to all human health is vitamin D. Then you got to think about COVID. There was a study I just read recently that showed when they looked at people who had vitamin D levels above uh, 50, they did not die from COVID. There was zero mortality. And I think they had like 2,500 subjects, if I'm not mistaken, and zero mortality. Sure, you can get sick. Sure, you might have a, a difficult time, but there's a difference between sick and mortality. So if you're thinking about a virus, if you're thinking about gut health, if you're thinking about just everyday immunity, almost nothing is more important to all human health than vitamin D. Which to me has always made sense because as humans, we in the past were in nature much more. We were interacting with the sun on a regular basis and we have a process in our body to create vitamin D that we are not using very often or at least as often in modern times. And so I'm, I've learned, I have a couple genes that don't process oral vitamin D very well but I'm very efficient in skin. And so I've learned for me, I still need to get sun exposure, but also, especially in the winter, supplemental vitamin D can be really, really impactful. And taking vitamin D, we've got all these studies. If you look through PubMed, you can find thousands of them that having that cutoff of optimal vitamin D levels in the blood lowers your risk of all-cause mortality. It lowers your risk of a lot of different problems. And it's a very a relatively inexpensive and easy one to supplement with and to monitor. And like you said, I would also recommend getting the blood test from your doctor or now there's places online like Everlywell that you can get a vitamin D test just to make sure that you stay in that good range of I think 50 to 90 is the sweet spot for my understanding and not go too low. Exactly. Exactly. And this is good for kids too, right? So you can monitor your kids, you know, as well. But the number one thing is just having them be outside and play. After that, then, you know, you can supplement, but you can actually test, you know, your kids at the at the doctor as well. And he or she can have a blood test as well. You know, same thing. You implied uh, 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 toxicity. So I personally take uh, at least 10,000 IU a day. For some people, might, that might seem a little little high, but you've seen at Costco, Walmart, et cetera, the doses rise to 5,000 IU per little like soft shell, for example. For most people, that shouldn't be an issue, that 5,000 IU a day. Uh, most people are probably below that, but I take far more than that. And if you're in a, let's call it a disease state, or I don't have a better word for that, just some sort of health compromise state. Yes. I mean, like my, my mother has, is in a compromised immune state. And so, yeah, she, she take 10, 20,000 plus IU per day to keep her vitamin D levels up. I also love that you said, get them outside to play first. I think that's a often not talked about an underrated thing and just being out in nature and interacting with our environment has a huge place in human health. Um, I also, from my research, have read that you have done a lot with uh, microbiome research and supplements related to the microbiome and specifically um, what are called postbiotics. And I would love for you to explain what that is. I feel like most people are familiar with prebiotics or probiotics. What are postbiotics? Uh, one of the things that I've tried to uh, focus on in my life is not getting so ultra technical that uh, we, we miss the, the forest and the trees kind of. So a postbiotic is best explained by fermentation. So think of like beer, right? So you ferment by simply having something like a bacteria or yeast and then sugar. That bacteria or yeast grows or eats and, 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 and ferments, you know, based on you know, eating that sugar source, just like beer. Well, that thing that you make after having that sugar or yeast eat that sugar, that thing that's left over is a postbiotic. Okay, let's call it the alcohol, right? Now, in the gut, it ferments as well, that it is like a fiber, for example. So you eat broccoli, it ferments in the gut. What's that thing that's produced? That's a postbiotic. Now, the number one or most primary 
postbioticus butyrate. Some people may have heard of that. We have a, an ingredient called core biome. It's basically a butyrate derivative. It's essentially what's left over after the fermentation of fiber in your gut. And that is regulating your gut permeability, the actual gut barrier. So the thing that is protecting your internal organs from the external environment is a one cell thick lining. So think of like a stretched, a stretched trampoline, right? That is like your gut lining. And that is one cell thick. And that is being mediated by butyrate. That butyrate is that gut barrier protector that's protecting those toxins, whatever it is. It could be uh, uh, environmental, like carbon dioxide. It could be from what you're, you know, pesticides or something like that that you're eating on a vegetable or something like that. These sorts of like inflammatory sort of assaults, I guess you could say, to the gut are, are being, you know, protected, are being rejected by your mucosal lining. So it doesn't get in your bloodstream because once it gets in your bloodstream, well, then it's getting into your whole system. That's systemic inflammation. You don't want that. So that mucosal lining, that thick lining mediated by butyrate, which really means mediated by fiber, which really means mediated by vegetables. So vegetables are the arbiter of all human health. And that's really the, uh, the foundation of, you know, gut health and human health. And it's a fascinating thing to study. I've heard it said it's not just what you eat, it's what your gut bacteria eats and why so much of yes. human breast milk, for instance, is actually not feeding the child directly. It's feeding the gut bacteria during that developmental phase of that mucosal lining. And so when they actually like break down breast milk, it's fascinating to see the things you maybe wouldn't expect. That's not just direct nutrients for a human baby, but it fuels the development of that microbiome over time. Yes. God bless breast milk. I mean, it is liquid gold. I mean, I, I can't say it any better than you did, but yes, it's, it's everything. It's amazing. And I have a bunch of other questions I've jotted down for you as well, including one that you sent, which is what is a drugstore mullet? And I have to ask that one because I don't even know what that is. I've never heard that term and I would love for you to. <laughs> so my, my colleague uh, came up with that and um, uh, it's it just something that is driving all of us crazy. And, and I know this is probably driven you crazy. You just haven't thought of it this way. And that is when you walk into like a CVS or Walgreens, any drugstore and you see just rows and rows of uh, candy. It's just unreal. You can get ho-hos and mess, you know, and, uh, and Twinkies and ding-dongs right in the front. You can get diabetes in the front and medication in the back. It is just uncanny. I mean, it is just unbelievable, right? The irony, it seems to be lost on the executives at these drugstores. And I just think to myself, gosh, you know, can we not go to a business school and say like, look, I need to turn this, like this space, this products in this space on this shelf X number of times. I need to make this much profit, right? Can we somehow not be selling diabetes in the front and diabetic medication in the back? Can we not like have insulin in the back and insulin spikes in the front? It's just, you know, so harmful. And as parents, on top of it, not only is it harmful, but you have to fight off your kid going, what's this, you know, this animal, this, this advertising thing that is you know, really catering to the child. Like you have to fight off your kid when you, you know, who's, who's wanting X or Y that shouldn't even be there, right? We already have a hard enough time as parents, let alone having your child say like, gosh, can I have the Skittles, right? Right in the, right in the exact place that you're getting the medication. It's just uh, terribly ironic. and. 
humorously uh, tragic. Yeah. And there's so much marketing surrounding those hyperpalatable foods. And I think the, the beauty of the human body is we're amazingly adaptable, which is important for survival over the long term. But now we're in this modern environment where all of these foods are available all the time. And we're no longer in a place where maybe fruit was only available for a certain short period of time in the summer. And you actually needed to eat it then to refuel all those nutrients and also glycogen. And you were supposed to kind of indulge while the fruit was on the tree. But now, like you said, it's not the fruit on the tree or the honey from the bees. It's the Skittles in every single aisle, every single day, eating them at every time of day. And our livers don't know what to do with that. Um, And we're seeing The stats I saw recently are astounding on the rise of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And we're even seeing it in children, which was not even, that was unheard of a couple decades ago. And now it's rampant. And I feel like the marketing side as well, it drives me nuts because I feel like so much of it is specifically geared at children. And they know that that's an easy switch to to push that the kids can talk the parents into it. But I, I, it drives me nuts that our food culture seems to assume from the very beginning that children are not capable of eating normal real foods. And they cater all these hyper palatable processed foods specifically to kids, which is then developing their taste buds and their gut response to favor those particular foods. Right. There was this other podcast that just, oh, it was about the guy who wrote Atomic Habits. And he was basically like, make it easy on yourself. Like if you're trying to, let's say you want to just eat less sugar, for example, it's best to just make it easy on yourself by not having the sugar around, right? Like you make it a little bit harder to go get it. That's why it's so easy when you're walking to see, you know, CVS or Walgreens or another drugstore, you know, to, to, to have it right, you know, right in front of you. So, yes, I, I couldn't agree more about the the ease with which we are eating sugar and, and, and the ease with which children will eat anything that's put in front of them. In other words, if you were in Finland, for example, just randomly, it, you know, they're going to eat what's put in front of them, just like if you had, you know, someone in California having something in, in, in front of them. In other words... The Finnish kid would eat uh, the Finnish food. The American would eat, you know, the American food. It is not, you know, it, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm an American. I won't eat Finnish food. We'll eat what's put in put in front of us. But I also want to say this one thing, and that is that we are more than the worst thing that we've ever done. And so that's from Brian Stevenson from Just Mercy, basically saying, hey, look, we've all had these things as parents, right? We've all had the, the child eat the cookie, right? My children eat cookies. They have ice cream, right? So. I was going to say for all those parents out there, like, man, give yourself a break a little bit. So yes, less sugar, a hundred percent cigarettes kind of like the next cigarette or, or, you know, sugar is like the next cigarette. It's just really detrimental. That's true. Okay. But at the same time, can we give ourselves a break? Right? Like we're more than the worst thing we've ever done. And I ate trash growing up. I mean, I'm talking ding dongs, Twinkies, name it, bad cereal, Etc. And I turned it around, I guess. So I guess I just wanted to say, yes, sugar is detrimental. Number two, we always have a second chance and we should be grateful for that second chance. Today is a new day. And as a parent, I also try to avoid the hyper-restrictive mentality that makes anything overtly forbidden or bad, especially when it comes to food. I try not to assign morality labels to a food or make them feel bad about food because I think that's its own host of problems. And just like technology sugar is going to be widely available for them in their adult lives. And they're going to have to learn how to navigate that and interact with it. And I won't always be their regulator of when they can and can't have sugar. So I think as a parent, it's walking that line of education and trusting them to make good choices and also helping like really just educate from a young age and then not keeping it in the house to your point. So even if they eat it once in a while when they're not home, it's not a big deal because the majority of their food is real food. Yeah. I'm so grateful for you saying that. Yes. (laughs) Goodness, I know better. 
Okay, so I know you're an expert in ingredients. I want to loop back to the supplement part. And most of the people listening are moms. I've said before, I think moms are some of the busiest people on the planet. And anything we can do that helps moms with their energy levels or with their stress or with just their daily ability to get stuff done has positive ripples throughout all of society. So I would love from just your background and expertise in ingredients, if there are any things that moms can do, maybe supplementally or even not supplementally, um, that helps with energy and focus without harming their health. Right. Uh, I would say number one is water. I know that seems totally totally antithetical, but being dehydrated will alter your cognitive ability. So number one is hydration. Number two is sleep. So with sleep, it's so trite. You might be thinking as a, as a listener, oh my gosh, here, here someone goes again, talking about sleep and I can't do it and everything else. So how to approach sleep, I think is by stress versus like sleep induction. So like what I mean by that is like theanine, for example. L-theanine, which is a simple amino acid, things like GABA, GABA, theanine, apigenin. These are calming agents. So go with uh, calming versus melatonin. So I would not use melatonin. I would go with ashwagandha, GABA, theanine. And then we have another, we have an ingredient called T-creen. And T-creen is a dopamine agonist. So it's like a mood enhancer. It's unbelievable for energy, mood, focus, things of that sort. On the let's call it more energy side. Yes, tea cream does that, our ingredient, but also things like yerba mate, uh, things like coffee, things like tea. I'm 100% not against any of those. And when you think about you know, coffee, it, it's often truncated to caffeine. But the fact is that it's like a witch's brew of a who's who of polyphenols and a bunch of other things, just like tea. Like you said, what's in coffee? You're like, uh, you know, there's that. I, I can't even tell you there's so much in there, just like tea. So I like yerba mate, coffee, tea. And then from like an energy standpoint, that's uh, maybe from like a, let's call it calming energy, things like magnesium, ashwagandha, GABA, theanine, apigenin, and our tea cream. Those are probably, uh, and we also have one called dynamine that is fantastic. You might also think about like a natural caffeine, uh, like a guayusa. Those are also good. Hopefully that didn't that didn't confuse any listener and maybe just put them on a wild goose chase, but I can truncate those to something maybe more specific or succinct if needed. I love that you mentioned sleep and I love that that's a recurring theme because I think often it's easy to get swept up in the next biohack that seems really cool or the next supplement that seems so fancy. But at the end of the day, it does go back to these core like hydrate, sleep, like realize that you're a human animal and animals need certain things, do those things. And then it makes the supplements more effective. And I've said over and over, you can't out supplement lack of sleep. You can't out supplement a bad diet. You have to get those core ones too. Uh, and in the 500 plus experts I've had on here, I'm yet to have one single person say sleep is not important. You could just it's, you know, it's fine. You don't have to sleep. So I think that's a really, really important one. I also, on a personal level, found I have some very choline specific genes. And usually we can hopefully get choline from diet, but I, for a very long time, had to avoid eggs. So without realizing it, I had become pretty choline deficient with all of these genes that were hyper dependent on choline. When I started supplementing, choline noticed a massive change in my focus and energy levels, which makes sense in the brain from the way choline works. And I know now there's a lot of choline supplements available. Are you, have you worked with any of those? any guidelines related to choline? Yeah, I think choline is great. I think there are several. I mean, I think simple is okay. Like people go a little crazy with like alpha GPC, alpha glycerophosphocholine. And I think that's great, but I mean, choline by tartrate, there are several. DMAE, um, yeah, any of those cholines uh, I think are super functional and are great for focus. 
And I also have a note from you to talk about the dairy industry and you saying it's kind of basically stuck in the 1980s. And I would love to hear your explanation for that. Yeah. So it just feels like, well, let me go back. Actually, your listeners might, uh, might be interested in knowing this, that there was an actual researcher back in, you know, gosh, it was in the 70s. It was a while ago, 60s, 70s. And uh, his name was Ansel Keys, A-N-C-E-L and then Keys. And he had a, a study called the, the Seven Seas. Uh, or seven nation, or seven country studies, something like that, and he basically showed that fat makes you fat, right? Well, he manipulated the data, so we went on four decades of fat makes you fat. So we took out fat and put in sugar. So think of all in the eighties, right? All those like low fat yogurts and things of that sort. Well, it couldn't have been more wrong, and that's what spurred the diabetes ep- epidemic. So there isn't just some nebulous "how did we get here" thing with diabetes. It's actually Ansel Keys. There is a foundation to this and manipulating a study to show that fat made you fat. It doesn't. It does not. Fat doesn't make you fat. Sugar does. So what happened is the dairy just got, the dairy industry just got stuck. So if you look at the dairy industry, it's totally insane. You look and it's like, let's say 2% fat. It's skim milk. It's, it's low fat. You know, there's all these monikers. Instead of just putting whole milk in the darn dairy aisle and just saying, drink it, like, don't complicate this. The yogurt, just make it from whole milk and just call it yogurt. We don't need to complicate this. So it just led to just decades of misinformation that now people think, oh my gosh, I need to take low fat yogurt or something like that. Well, is what you, is what is best is to look at the yogurt and see how much sugar is in there. So you look at brands like Chobani are, are, have those like low sugar, less sugar sort of monikers. That's the foundation of good health. Number two in the dairy aisle, you'll see it'll, it'll say like, you know, protein. So it'll splash like 20 grams of protein or high protein or something like that. And then they'll have 19 grams of added sugar. Like, you don't want to have diabetes with good muscle tone. This is ridiculous, right? This is not good for us nor our children. So that's why the dairy industry seriously needs to just wake up and just, I don't know, just use milk. Well, and a friend of mine, JJ Virgin, says your body's not a bank account. It's a chemistry lab. And I feel like the fat is bad came from the idea of like, oh, it's just a simple math thing. And so if we can just reduce the thing that's the highest in calories, we're going to be fine, except for our bodies are chemistry lab. And we instead introduced all these chemicals that are sending all these signals to the body that are not healthy. And to your point, then we replaced it with sugar, which has a whole host of biochemical consequences, especially in large amounts, if you're not using it. Because I'm carbohydrates aren't bad. Our body needs those. We use them for fuel. In excess, they're bad. Or when we combine sugars and fats in high amounts, that's when we get like a rise in triglycerides and all kinds of problems. And then we also, because of those same studies, brought in all these vegetable oils, which I've talked in depth about how we've replaced natural fats that come from nature with chemically processed, deodorized, methane, like hexane excreted fats that our body doesn't know what to do with. And so our body's trying to do what it's supposed to do and build a healthy body with the wrong building blocks. So I I love that about the dairy industry as well. I think there can be great sources, but also I feel like that marketing around, oh, you need calcium and you need protein. I'm like, you know what else has that? A can of sardines and you're not going to get negative (laughs) stuff. You know, (laughs) that's an unpopular opinion, but I'm like, so eat a can of sardines a couple of times a week. You're going to get more calcium anyway. Yeah. Yes. I, I think we've missed the uh, missed the whole food part of this, and so yes, I, I I couldn't agree more. And hopefully, in time, that will just say, "Gosh, let's limit the sugar and let's use all the macros." So, can you imagine the opposite, Katie? Can you imagine if we actually said the opposite? Like we have these macros, like fat, 
carbohydrates and protein. And we say, gosh, you know, we don't need one. How random would that be that we have an earth? We have these three macros. And then randomly someone says, yeah, we don't need one. Or one of those is bad. It just doesn't make sense, right? There's got to be some sort of balance there. Uh, just naturally, it just makes a lot of sense. And then scientifically, uh, it all also makes sense. So take carbohydrates. Fiber is a carbohydrate. Obviously, we need fiber. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of misinformation and demonizing of entire macronutrient groups. And I think that there can be some things done in healthy ways within healthy guidelines of that to manipulate um, and eat like more different ranges of those, if anything, because Americans typically are over consuming, especially processed carbohydrates and processed fats and under consuming whole food sources. But that's one guideline I've noticed in my own life. You know, we got so sucked into the whole calories idea and just how many calories am I consuming? And my point has always been, we actually need to be looking at how can I get the maximum nourishment for the same amount of calories? Because if you're just looking at calories, you're going to eat these foods that are devoid of a lot of nutrients, but are low calorie. Whereas if you're saying, how can I, if I'm going to eat 2,300 calories today, how can I maximize the amount of nutrients, micronutrients, fiber to your point, protein, all of these things I need in those calories versus just deprive myself of calories. Right. Yeah. I, it would be nice if we just get back to that intuitive eating. Not everyone has it because we were so far away from it. But yeah, just whole foods, right? If, if we can, if we can. And I know there are some listeners who are like, they're super busy and they're like, my gosh, I got to drive through a, you know, I, I have to go through a drive through. I got to, you know, warm up a meal or something like that. And so I know that there's stress and reality, right? Like we're talking in, in super idealistic terms. But yes, if we can just get closer, just 1% closer, I think perfect is the enemy of good. So just get better right? We're all trying to get better. So don't like beat ourselves up for every little, like, you know, let's say less, uh, let's say nutritious meal, not beat us, beat ourselves up for every time, you know, we or our children have pizza. It's all we're trying to do is just get a little bit better and eating all those macros, you know, just having some, some vegetables and some fruit and some meats. If you, if you go that direction, or, you know, if you like beans and nuts, uh, if you don't like, you know, meat and you're vegan, Perfect, right? You're just getting a little bit better. Maybe just one vegetable more per per day or one vegetable, you know, per week, you know, just better, not perfect. Yeah, I love that quote that perfect is the enemy of the good. And also to the point in the beginning, the human body is very adaptable and it's not being perfect. It's giving it just the most number of good factors that we can and knowing that it's there to take care of us too. This episode is sponsored by June Shine a better for you alcohol made with only real organic ingredients. And unlike other alcoholic beverages, they are transparent about every ingredient they put in their products. I love how light and refreshing it tastes without the bloat of other alcohol like beer. It's naturally fizzy and fermented. And I have found that even friends who aren't big kombucha fans love the flavor and the fizz of Juneshine. Each can is only three grams of sugar, so it's low carb, full of probiotics, and they come in creative and delicious flavor combos like their brand new prickly pear margarita, which is delicious. They're always smooth, refreshing, and enjoyable. And best of all, it doesn't leave you with that I'm too full after drinking feeling, and you get a lighter, brighter buzz. Juneshine is also sustainably produced. They're 100% carbon neutral, donate 1% of their sales to environmental nonprofits. The brewery is powered by 100% renewable solar energy, and they plant trees for all those used to make their boxes. I get this stuff delivered straight to my doorstep now that Juneshine has nationwide shipping, and I've worked out a special offer just for you. Receive 20% off plus free shipping site-wide 
I recommend trying one of their best-selling variety packs. It's a great way to try all of their flavors and find your favorite. Go to juneshine.com slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama to claim. That's J-U-N-E-S-H-I-N-E dot com slash wellnessmama. You can also find them in over 10,000 stores, including Whole Foods, Safeway, Kroger, and Publix. This episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley, a company that is near and dear to my heart. I really like all of their products, and my family especially loves their 100% grass-fed beef sticks, which are clean, gut-friendly, and protein-packed snack options. They never last long in my house because my kids enjoy them so much, and I love how seriously Paleo Valley takes creating healthy and environmentally friendly products. Their grass-fed beef sticks are the real deal. They're sourced from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished cows that are never fed grains or harmful antibiotics. And they come from small family-owned farms right here in the USA that practice rotational grazing, meaning farmers literally rotate the pastures on which the cows graze, so they aren't feeding on the same soil forever, depleting its nutrients. This means that the cows are helping increase the nutrient density of the soil and put carbon back in the soil where it belongs. Another important difference, virtually every other meat snack on the market is made with a processing agent called encapsulated citric acid or ECA. Companies use this in order to guarantee a long shelf life for their products. But one study from the University of Illinois at Chicago found that ECA can cause joint discomfort caused by stiffness and swelling, muscle aches, upset stomach, and more. Instead, Paleo Valley beef sticks use the old world methods of fermentation, which gives the beef sticks a long shelf life without harmful acids and chemicals. And they're also free of brominated vegetable oil, hormones, and MSG used in many products. And the natural fermentation process means that they're a natural source of probiotics as well. Check out these amazing grass-fed beef sticks and all Paleo Valley products at paleovalley.com forward slash mama. And if you use the code mama15, you'll save 15% on your order. Again, that's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash M-A-M-A and the code M-A-M-A 15 to save 15%. If you were to pick one area of health to focus on to maximize human potential, what would it be? This is it, your, your, your consumer or your uh, listeners are like, oh my gosh, sure it goes again. Uh, but the gut, I mean, you cannot overestimate how important the gut is. It, in, it is the foundation of all human health, period. So your immune system resides there. Your like serotonin and dopamine are being produced in the gut. That whole connection of like your gut to, and then name the axis, like your brain. It's connected by the vagus nerve. So you're thinking about, let's say, gosh, like I can't focus. Let's just say that's that, that focus, that mood, that focus, that mood, that, that actually starts in the gut. You're looking at your skin health. Like, gosh, you know, I've got a rash. I've got a this, you know, or, or whatever it is. There's blemishes, let's say on the skin. That starts in the gut. Let's say your heart health. That starts in the gut. It, I, I just keep on, keep on going. Like your immune, like your immune system. It's not vitamin C. That's nice. Vitamin C is great. We should be taking it. It's nice to take vitamin C, but your immune system largely resides in your gut. It's your barrier to your internal organs. How is anything more important than your skin and your gut? Because your skin is obviously guarding, you know, if we didn't have skin, obviously we'd be super penetrable, right? All the uh, toxins from the, from the environment would get in. So your skin is obviously of primary importance and your gut lining is second. 
So I would focus on the gut to answer your question. And somewhat related question, realizing that perfect is the enemy of the good and we're never going to get it perfect. What is your personal 80-20 of the things that you feel are, are like parts of your normal routine that have the biggest payoff when it comes to health? I I just eat, I try to eat as many vegetables as I can. That's probably A1 number one. I supplement vitamin D. I try to get out in the, well, this is going to be a little bit random. Pardon me for the, yeah, for the randomness of this, but I try to I try to see the sun with my eyes not out a window in the morning before I, I look at my phone. I try to get vitamin E through the sun. I supplement vitamin E as well because I'm 45, so I'm older and that declines with age. I eat as many vegetables as I can. I'm not a vegan, but I don't, but I, and I do eat meat, but I try to not eat a ton of it, you know, so. What else? I tried to sleep. I'm not very good at that, but I, you know, I try to sleep as, you know, as, as best I can. What else? I'm a huge, uh, I, I take our own core biome, which is butyrate, essentially. Um, yeah. What else? I, I try to, I'm not very good at this either, but I try to drink water. And that's the only thing I do drink, by the way. So when I do drink, I only drink water. That's it, period. Hopefully that gives you a, a few uh, top, top line. How about you? I'm interested in yours. Can you, I, I, can I flip that script? What, what do you do, Katie? Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you also mentioned the morning sunlight one, because I feel like I'm often the broken record saying this, but truly like it's free. It's super impactful for your health. We know that light is one of the biggest regulators of circadian rhythm, which yes. affects your hunger cues, which affects all of your other hormones. Cortisol is a master driver there. And that is one thing that you're going to be awake in the morning anyway, go outside and do whatever part of your morning routine you want to do outside. And it will make a big, I've seen it in my lab work, actually. I've seen the cortisol changes. I've seen my progesterone and my other hormones change in response to getting light in the morning, which leads to also better sleep at night. Because when you get that bright light on your receptors in your eyes in the morning, it sets that clock for melatonin production at night, which many people, especially moms, struggle with. So that's definitely one of my core ones as well. I'm personally a huge fan of sauna use just because I have one at my house. And the metadata is pretty amazing on the reduction in all-cause mortality and in heart disease risk from regular sauna use. So I'm very fortunate to have one of those. I think also for me, I do cycle quite a few supplements and I cycle different macros depending on my training and what I'm doing. Um, but I'm a big believer in nourish the body with whole foods whenever possible first, supplement when needed. But then I think so much of it goes back to mindset, and this is a piece that isn't talked about enough. And so I've been really, for the last couple of years, consciously curating my mindset to be supportive of health as well. And things like a daily meditation practice and gratitude and focusing on the present moment and the things that are actually within my control and learning to let go of the things that aren't, which doesn't seem like a direct health tip, but it really drastically changes stress levels. Yes, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And uh, that presence is something that I've struggled with for so, so long. And, and it, uh, you know, I've just been driven. And, you know, as you know, you, as you know, like you own a business and businesses and you end up going, okay, you know, I, I'm supposed to listen to my chi- child's story right now, right? I'm supposed to be present in my child's play, in my child's song, in my child, you know, whatever it is. And that presence, I think, is, yeah, what makes life worth living. And uh, it's... Um, something I struggled with. And thank you for that reminder. And a couple of last questions I love to ask for the end of the time. The first being, if there is a book or a number of books that have had a profound impact on your life, and if so, what they are and why? So that's a good question. 
Yeah, so it's so hard to pinpoint uh, because there. I think for all of us, uh, there are you know just times in your life when you it, when you read a certain thing that where it impacts you more than another. So in business, and one that kind of uh, covers health and what we're talking about is the Psychobiotic Revolution. It's one of the best books ever written in any category, in my opinion. Period. Like it's just brilliant. And I'd say the one that's a little bit more approachable that I'm so grateful for this woman. And I want to write her a letter and just say like, oh my gosh, you are really everything that we've been trying to synthesize for the last thousand, you know, couple of thousand years. And that is the mother tree, finding the mother tree from Susan Samard. And she basically summarized uh, a spirit of cooperation. And we all know this, like the human species has basically survived because of cooperation. And when you look at Earth, it's surviving because of cooperation. But we have this uh, mentality of competition, right? So if I grow soybeans, I can't have corn, right? Because you know one is going to compete with the other for water, sunlight, etc. But the fact is that nature has been surviving in forests with so-called in quotes competing species, and then we we raise that forest, and then only have let's say I don't know oak. We're only going to have oak trees. Because we don't want to have another tree because it's going to compete. But the fact is that she discovered that that force is actually in cooperation. That these quote-unquote competing species aren't competing. They're actually giving each other carbon back and forth. They are surviving in, in, this, in this cooperation. And the human species survives this way. And so does our gut microbiome. And this is what our philosophers have been talking about for a couple of thousand years. Yin-yang, hot, cold. Eastern medicine, balance, Aristotle's golden mean. This notion of balance has been summarized by this woman in this book in the form of like ecology, finding the mother tree. And it's such a beautiful story about cooperation and such a beautiful story about the mother and the symbolism of the mother tree and the mother itself in life. It just, yeah, I'm grateful for that woman, Susan Samard. That's a new, actually, both of those are new recommendations on this podcast. I'll make sure they're linked in the show notes. And the mother tree seems especially uh, relevant to the many moms listening. So I love that you recommended that one. I've just put both in my cart so I can read them as well. Yes. I think it's called finding the mother tree. Yeah. I, 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 I had it on audible and I stopped it and wrote down entire pages so that I'd be able to go back to them because there was, you know, certain poignant moments. I think three quarters of the, uh, three three quarters of the way through the book. So yeah, I just highly encourage people to read that and also just think about it. And that we are far more cooperative than we ever really consider. Like you're going to talk and I'm going to listen. I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. This cooperation is taken for granted, and it shouldn't be. Like we're cooperating as we speak. We cooperate when we're driving, and uh, when we cooperate with the environment. It's, yeah, it's better for all of us in, in, in the human human species. That's a beautiful perspective. And for all of you guys listening while driving or exercising, I will link to all of those in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm so that you can find them. And any parting advice you want to leave with the listeners today could be related to what we've talked about or entirely unrelated. I get that from you more than from me. Uh, parting advice. I think there's some, as you get older, I think, you start thinking of one is balance, 
right? What we just talked about, I think in cooperation, balancing all things, I think we're, like we said earlier, we're more than the worst thing we've ever done. So let's, let's give ourselves a, a, a little bit of a break. Know thyself. So kind of thinking about what, what makes you tick and what makes you happy, I think is super critical. Yeah, eat some vegetables. <laughs> the value of whole foods and vegetables as the foundation of all human health, I think is super, super poignant. And knowing that supplements are just that, supplementing a, a whole food diet, I think is is critical. Yeah, parting advice. I love it. And I love how much in life and the research continues to support goes back to things our grandmothers knew and have said for years of eat your vegetables, go to bed, get sleep, play outside. It all goes back to the things I feel like there's been wisdom and humans knowing for so many years, and now we just have the research to back it up. But Matt, this was a really fun conversation. We covered a lot of ground. I'm really grateful for you for being here today and for sharing. Yes, thank you. Thanks to you. And thanks to all the mothers out there for making it all, all happen. I think we are eternally grateful, you know, for, you know, the, the leadership, you know, in our, in our country and our families. And so just want to say thank you. And thanks as always to all of you for listening and for sharing your most valuable resources, your time, your energy, and your attention with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time. And thanks as always for listening.